Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 39 million high-quality stock images, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. New accounts will receive 20% off any image order. Go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code TWIP814. This week on TWIP, Flickr announces a new licensing experience. Is Google planning to separate Google Plus photos from the Google Plus social network? And Zach Arias takes a real-world look at the crop versus full-frame sensor debate. It's Monday, August 24th, 2014, and this is TWIP. And welcome back to TWIP, a.k.a. This Week in Photo. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Joining me today to discuss some of the happenings in the world of photography and beyond are Mr. Martin Bailey and Miss Sarah France. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. Great, thanks. Uh, Sarah, let's start with you. You haven't been on in forever. Uh, and it seems like every time you come on, I say that. So we have to get you on more frequently. <laughs> I know. Clearly. <laughs> what's going on with that? So, I know. What's, been, ha- what's happening in the world of France? It's been busy. I mean, we have basically, um, I have a, a new business, France Photographers. I think I had that when we when we were on last time, but um, that's been really busy and picking up and amazing, and we just added a videographer to the team as well. So now it's me, two additional, two other photographers who shoot weddings on their own, and a videographer. So the team's expanding and growing, and we actually just got back from shooting a wedding in Martha's Vineyard with one of our TWIP listeners. Hey, look at that. Yeah, Michael, he, he and his fiance are, well, wife now, are amazing. We had so much fun with them, and they're the coolest people. I love TWIP listeners. They're amazing. That's cool. Well, hopefully very soon there'll be exponentially more TWIP listeners as we make this thing a little crazier. So, cool. <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy. You, but you're like shooting. See, it's like, I don't know. You're crossing the streams there. TWIP host and, you know, shooting the wedding of TWIP listeners. Is that even legal? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's amazing. Barely is legal. Cool. And Martin, Martin, what's going on with you over in the, the sunny land of Tokyo? Oh, uh, too sunny. I'm doing my reverse hibernation at the moment where I just I flick the aircon on and just sit in, indoors for a while. Yeah, it's hot. Yeah. Ridiculous outside. But no, it's good because I, I, it gives me time. I, I've been uh, putting the final touches on uh, on next year's Iceland tour and uh, I'm just about to do this year's, so that's that's all good. I've uh, got a whole bunch of other stuff coming up. Um, but the the main thing I'm doing this week is writing a couple of articles for a future craft and vision photograph magazine. So, oh, cool! Yeah, um, and and they've they've been pr- the ones I'm doing at the moment. I've almost finished the second one, um, but they're they're quite in depth. So, quite a lot of um, looking, you know, reading things up and uh, and making lots of diagrams and stuff. So, it, I I don't mind doing this stuff. You know, it's I'm I'll, I quite like using an Illustrator to put diagrams together and. Yeah. They always seem to look okay in the end, so it's, it's a lot of fun. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, both Everyone's always working on such cool stuff. It's exciting. I'm very, uh, and I'm, I'm glad you guys take the time to do this show, even though you're so insanely busy. So thanks for that. All right. Uh, before we jump into some of the interesting things that are happening this week, I'd like to thank our first sponsor for this episode, and that's our friends over at Shutterstock.com. 
This episode is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an advertisement, a video, or any other type of project. You can choose from over 39 million high-quality stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and video clips. And Shutterstock ensures that you'll get quality and selection. Many contributors to Shutterstock are professional photographers and artists. And their professional curators review each image individually for content and quality before they add them to the Shutterstock library. Which, by the way, is now over 250,000 images added every single week to that library. So every time you visit, you'll find something brand new to look at. Plus, they've got flexible pricing. You can choose individual image packs or a monthly subscription for the best deal. I mean, you can download 25 images per day with the standard subscription. And you can download any image in any size and pay only one price. Now, Shutterstock makes it easy to find and share your images as well. For example, they've got a new palette tool. You can create a gallery of images in several shades uh, of a single color or with different tones that coordinate. You can use pre-made selections or you can create your own. And they've got a new people tool. It's a new way to browse group images of people by number, ethnicity, age, and gender. You can explore multiple options from within the same photo shoot for a consistent look and feel of images. And it goes on and on. Just a ton of ways to find the right images. For example, today, as we build out the new This Week in Photo, I needed some images for use in one of the campaigns that we're building. And all I did, of course, my knee-jerk reaction is to go to Shutterstock.com, search for the keyword. In fact, for this thing, it was a background. I needed just a blurry background image of some circles. So I put in the keyword, uh, Boca Blue Background, and boom, I had a page full of blurry blue circle backgrounds for me to use in the presentation as a background that I was using. So they make it that easy. Plus, it was cheap. You know, we have a subscription, so I just hit the button, boom, download the images, to, the image to my computer, dragged it into my program, and I'm still running. Didn't even stop to think about anything. It just worked. And you can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. You don't need a credit card. You can just start your account, begin browsing Shutterstock to help you sort of visualize what your project could be like. And you can save video selections you find directly to the light box on Shutterstock. Then when you decide to purchase, just use the offer code TWIP814 and new accounts will receive 20% off any image order. Once again, that's Shutterstock.com. And for 20% off any image files with a new account, just use the offer code TWIP814. And of course, we'd like to thank Shutterstock for their support of This Week in Photo. All right, guys, let's jump into the show. First off, um, let's let's start with the story on Flickr. So let me read the blurb here. It says, in an effort to keep up with Getty and 500 picks, Flickr recently announced that they would be offering a new licensing experience. This new experience or this new service will provide a new way for Flickr members to partner with photo agencies, editors, bloggers, and other creative minds who are looking for original content. Now, Flickr's curatorial team will provide assistance, outreach, connectivity to help members get their photos licensed and connect them with photo editors to find exciting photography assignments. And they say members who are interested in this new program can sign up to be considered for that program and receive more information once it's available. So 
the gist of this is, of course, I'm going to take it here, Martin. I'm going to throw it to you first because I know you're in that world and you're doing some stuff with some other stock agencies. Be free, be, feel free to tell us who they are. But mm. the stock photography in general, now that Flickr is throwing its hat into the ring, I my first knee-jerk reaction is we see, and we've talked about this on the show before, the whole phenomenon, I don't know if it's still there, but there was a whole phenomenon of people would shoot a lot of stuff and then dump it on Flickr, you know, whereas conversely at a site like 500 Picks, they would pick the best shot that they have and retouch it and make sure it's perfect and then kind of put it out there, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and instead of just dumping everything out there. What do you think? I mean, can Flickr move in this direction, Martin, of, of doing this sort of licensure with that kind of catalog? Yeah, well, I think the thing is, is that um, 500px is, is self-curated. People only put their best work up there, like you say. Um, Flickr, yeah, it's traditionally been like a, a memory card dumping ground and a lot of people, they'll come back from a shoot and say, oh, look, I've got 500 photos of this stalk or something like that. And, mm -hmm. and so it's like, you know, the, the, th the difference is, is that Flickr are going to be paying people to create, uh, to curate the, um, you know, the, the content. Yeah. They're, you put the check on and they, and they will say, okay, this is a great photograph. Can we license this? Or, you know, or do you want to try and, and sell this? And then they'll ignore the other 499 stalk shots and move on to the next set. Yeah. So, it's I think that it's it's a difference between self curation and and Flickr curation and and they'll they'll probably make it work. Um, yeah, I mean personally I haven't even logged on to my Flickr account in like two years, yeah. so I'm I'm not involved. And it was never really a for me a, one of the one of the main sites that I work with. But I know that a lot of people have got a lot of quality work on there. Um, the thing that I'm start were wondering about is how they're going to deal with the Getty and Flickr um, agreement that they've got. Because, I mean, I remember I've still got, I think it's like 150 photos that Flickr said, Getty want to license this image. And I, I did one a million years ago just to get in and see the, um, see the pricing. And it was like you get like 60 cents a, a sale or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. so, and that's Getty. So you know, obviously they're going to try and go up against. Uh, you mentioned, I mean, I'm I'm with Offset. Mm -hmm. um, it's a it's a sister company of Shutterstock, your sponsors yeah. this week, and they're they're selling my work. You know, I mean, for the I for a, the longest time, I tried to stick with the old traditional, like you know, if it's advertising, it's going to cost you a few thousand dollars. If it's this, it's going to cost you a few more thousand dollars. And I tried tried to stick with that license model for a long time, but it the sales just plummeted. You know, so. And and that's it's the new world. It's nothing that we can do about it. I I don't think that there's any way we're gonna we're gonna get that back unless you're talking about people that are actually doing assignment work. And then you can still license the work mm -hmm. um, because you're being paid to create something that is unique for a certain person, a certain customer. Yeah. But I think the stock, you know, things that you've actually shot yourself and put into the system, this is the new pricing model. And I think that. Companies like Offset are actually doing a pretty good job of raising the bar. You know, I'm I'm getting more through Offset per sale than I would from a lot of other companies, and so for me, I'm I'm happy with Offset. I think that 500px uh, their stock sales prices are comparable, and then we've got the um, we've got the new Flickr service coming up. I don't know what the pr the pricing is going to be like. 
But I imagine they're going to be going head to head with companies like Offset and and 500px, similar pricing. It's it's a little bit more than the really cheap royalty free stock that we've seen over the last few years. But they're they're building. You know, that's become so saturated that the quality is starting to drop. Mm-hmm. And I think that I mean Offset are really handpicking the, their artists and the work that they publish from those artists. So if Flickr do that, I think that they've they've got a chance of making something. Um, you know, how it will turn out, I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and Sarah, I want to have you chime in on this too because, you know, I look at this stuff and I, I don't shoot stock, you know, and I never shot the the old stock, you know, that was when they were licensing hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars per image and then, you know, went through that whole, whole uh, you know, apocalypse, you know, or the eye stockalypse or whatever, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and then people can pick up images for, for relatively cheap. And now it's kind of like Martin was saying, it's kind of climbing back up with this curatorial aspect to it as people mm-hmm. figure out that, hey, free is kind of what you get when you, if you pay for nothing. You get what you pay for, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, <laughs> what do you think about this? Is this, is this another another way for the stock photography industry? Is it just continuing its evolution and we don't know what that final organism is going to look like? Or is this the end of the road? I think it's so interesting to hear Martin talk about it, for one, because it's not an area that I've really delved into as well. So hearing his take on it is just so fascinating. And um, and somebody who's in it and, like, making money off of it and that, that whole process. So thank you for sharing that, for one, Martin. But also, I... I see it and I know I really have always felt like Flickr was a place for consumer, prosumer images. I haven't been putting my images there as well. However, I will say that Flickr has a ton of images on their site. I mean, there is such a huge gamut of images that are on there. So mm-hmm. I don't doubt that there are some stock-worthy images that they have on their site. Um, but I do think they're going to have a really, really hard time getting to those images and figuring that out and going through that whole process and they're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of time doing it. Mm-hmm. So will it in the end be successful for them? I, I wonder a little bit because it just seemed like a huge feat that they have to do to kind of get to that point, especially to just overcoming how people perceive Flickr right now as more of a consumer and prosumer site. It's not necessarily the first place that they're going to look, but I think that if Flickr goes for like a little bit less expensive of a model, I mean, that's sad to say. It already sounds really inexpensive as it is. They're paying us, I think, at that point, right? Yeah. (laughs) They're like... They're like, yeah, you get ten cents if you if somebody <laughs> uses your image. I mean, that's pretty much the market that they're in. It's the difference of high quality versus, you know, getting somebody off the street who really knows what they're doing. I mean, I'm sure there's good quality work on Flickr. I'm not saying that there's not, but yeah. they're gonna have to be careful of how they come out of the gate because yeah. they'll they'll probably be, you know, right away will make a judgment as if it's worth going there to look for stock images or if it's not, our companies will, will kind of decide that and put them in a space right away. So well, it'll be interesting to see how they launch that and how they manage that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. One of the, the, the things that makes me encouraged about this article or this move by Flickr is just the fact that they're making moves, you know, and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, it seems like for, for a couple of years there, they, before Marissa Meyer came on, it was, they were just kind of, 
you know, is hanging out and, and rolling with their own speed. And, you know, 500 picks came up and all these other companies came up and started innovating. And they're just like, you know, the old man on the porch saying, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't care. You know, go out here. But now it's like they got they got a second and a third wind and they're m- making moves. Whether they're right or wrong, we'll find out. But you don't know yeah. until you make a move. Right. That's so true. So true. Yeah, yeah, it's exciting. So, Martin, uh, on you, so you're in this world. You sell stock, and you have before, and you're you're much more intimate with it than uh, Sarah and I. Put on your thinking cap or your, you know, fire up that DeLorean and tell me what's happen- What's going to happen in the future, you know? With, what is this whole industry going to look like in, say, 10 years from now? Is this, in other words, is this... You know, the the devil's advocate would say, okay, this is just scraping the bottom of the barrel of this market, and, you know, people are trying to get the last few crumbs before it completely goes away. Or the glasses have full standpoint would be this was just an evolution now. This is the new direction, and it's picking up speed now. And with this curatorial aspect to it, people are, you know, there's finally money in stock again. Where Mm. where do you fall on that? I I think that there's... Like Sarah said a moment ago, you, you get what you pay for. And there's, over the last 10 years, we've seen, we've seen the price of stock plummet. And, you know, that, that's like I say, it's the new world. That's how it is now. There's no use worrying too much about the fact that we can't get the prices we used to get for stock photography. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that the, it'll probably continue. I, I'm, I'm probably wrong, but, you know, what, what I imagine is that there will continue to be a lot of quality work go out there into the into the world and people that are you know with digital the learning curve became so much shallower and uh, I found you know what's happened is is that there's a lot of people that have just got great imagery mm. that will throw it out there and they're just happy to see it published and that's why the the, the new um, you know fee for stock imagery is often zero right. and and that's what's messing things up the even the cheaper sites they're only really charging enough to warrant the actual, you know, the making of the licenses and the system behind it. Um, I think that the, you know, the curated set that we're seeing from Offset and we'll probably see from Flickr, you know, whether it works or not, um, and from 500px, that's that's a new norm that's coming in because people don't want the average great photograph anymore. They want something that's more special. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, partic- I personally don't shoot stock imagery, you know, I'm... I'm not going up and setting up a, I don't know, a movie theater on a Sunday morning with it, filling it with friends and having them throw popcorn in the air while I took, take a photograph. That's yeah. that's very creative stuff, and I, I don't I don't want to sound like I'm mocking that. Yeah. It's creative stuff that people are doing to really sell good stock photography. But I I mean the thing is with Offset is that they actually take my Antarctica work, my Iceland work. They take photography from beautiful places. And they'll sell it for me, and that's something that's different to the old model and from us, from the old sort of what we what we call stock photography. Yeah. Um, but I think that what's going to happen is is people are going to continue to become really good photographers really quickly, and the market's going to continue to get more and more saturated with people that say, I don't need any money for this. I just want to see it on the front page of a magazine or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so they'll throw it out there. It'll get used, um, and I think that the trend is probably going to go towards the troubles that people have working with with people that just give it away for free. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, people don't know how to license photography. 
they they say oh, oh yeah so i need i want a credit with it and then they someone uses it goes into some they get permission to use it they get a a half bank license from someone that doesn't really know how to write a license and then they'll they'll put they'll use it they'll, once it's in that company in the system someone will inevitably use it without giving some, giving the photographer credit of course yeah. and what you what you do there at that point is normally you say hey guys you know you probably should have given me credit but it's no big deal you know i hope i hope it works out for you or you just shut up and don't say anything because it's not, they those people don't really have they although they should credit you for the work it, things get so complicated that they can't find the licenses and things and so i think that the companies are going to find that they'll they'll be dealing with more and more friction from photographers that don't have a clue on how to license their work and so that will probably make them think you know what it's free but is it really worth it it's like they say nothing's more expensive than free and so so the people are going to probably start spending more time fighting battles with people that don't know how to license their work than it's worth and then they'll probably go back to the the stock agencies and i i think that it's it's going to it's probably going to hold itself for a while more yeah. Whether it's going to be that, if Martin, if all that takes like I don't know, ten, fifteen ish years or so to kind of shake itself off, by that time I'm not even going to care. <laughs> I'm going to be I'm going to be in my little hover around, scooting around town, <laughs> taking pictures with my Google Glass and well, uploading them. <laughs> you know, some people have made good livings just selling stock photography and they're the creative ones that are out there doing the cinema shots and, and actually setting stuff up and creating quality stock and I I'm not that person I, I make images first and foremost for myself mm -hmm. and then the main thing that I want to use those images for is to illustrate my the the you know future tour web pages yeah and illustrate my my ebooks and my magazine articles and that, of course, in turn, makes people say, oh, look at that, that's a nice photo, where was that shot? And then they'll look at the article and they'll say, oh, he's going to Iceland, no, I'll probably go with him. Oh, you know? And okay. so, so yeah. that all self-perpetuates. Yeah. That's my main marketing model. And for me, stock photography sales is, it helps to pay the rent. It doesn't fully pay the rent even, because, you know, like I say, I'm not shooting stock photography. It doesn't fully pay the rent every month, but when I get a check, it generally keeps the roof over my head for the next you know, the next month. Yeah, and folks like Rich Rich Leg, who we've had on this week in photo before, yeah. um, he's an eye stock photographer, mm. and he does what you just described a minute ago, Martin, it's, like it's fill a theater with friends, and yeah, he does. He will conceptualize a shoot yeah. and follow him on 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 uh, Instagram or whatever. He'll conceptualize a shoot and then go shoot that in various sort of iterations and put that up and you know generate income from that, and then over the years. Even if those images are only generating a couple of dollars a day or a week or something, yeah. times a thousand, yeah. that's yeah. serious, you know, cheddar every month coming in from just having these photos sitting in a database somewhere. Mm. So it, it was it was Rich that I was thinking of. He's the guy that I recall talking about setting up the cinema yeah. shoot on a Sunday morning. Yeah, so, yeah, and like I say, that's really creative stuff. And it, there's a living there. Um, and I think that if you do if you shoot that sort of work, it, it's it's the sort of thing that you can make a living at if you're good at it. Yeah. But you've got to be creative. It's not really what I'm doing. All right. Well, guys, let's move on to the second story here. Uh, Bloomberg is reporting that Google is making plans to separate its photos service from Google+. 
in an effort to attract more users to the service. Now, Google's previous photo service, Picasa, was rolled into Google Plus um, several years ago, and though the service has proven popular, certain segments of the photography community, many users have complained about having to participate in Google's social network in order to access their photo service, and some have felt this prevented the service from growing. So by separating the photo service, Google, according to this article in Bloomberg, is hoping to appeal to a wider audience to compete with other services like, you guessed it, Facebook, Twitter, and of course Instagram, who's part of Facebook. Or or the question is, are they going up against 500 picks and the flickers of the world? Now, of note, Google recently enabled its video conferencing service for business customers who were not members of Google+. And uh, it could be that they're just, you know, following suit down the road with the photo service. Sarah, what do you think about this? So, you know, Google Google has taken flack since they launched Google+. And people are saying, hey, it's, you know, never going to be a Facebook and this and all that. But in the photography community... It has taken off, and you know. But to that first argument, if, as I look at my friends list in Google Plus and the people that I'm following, all mm. photographers, hundred yeah. <laughs> percent photographers. Right. So is this is this them? Could this? I mean, you know, again, devil's advocate. Could this be Google saying, you know, Google Plus didn't work out, but you know, this photo thing, this photos thing is awesome, and people seem to dig that. Let's keep that around and make its own thing. Or is it just a spinoff in Google Plus? proper is going to continue on and photos is going to continue on. What do you think? I mean, Google just keeps getting bigger and bigger, so I can't imagine why they wouldn't um, just do it as a spin-off and keep all the other services kind of running that are continually to grow. Yeah. And I and I do think Google Plus has some really great qualities, and even if it's not a Facebook, it's it definitely has its own unique things that make it great. And um, one of those things is that a lot of really cool photographers are on it. So but that's why I like it. You say even, you say Sarah, even if it's not a Facebook, it's still blah blah blah. That's why I like Google Plus because it's not, it's, it's there's not like, Facebook. You know, if there's baby pictures, they're professional. If yeah. there's, you know, <laughs> it's not where you upload your iPhone photos. It's like yeah. where you go to actually show your good work and talk and have a good conversation. I think that Google Plus is a really great site, and I doubt that they're going to take Picasa and, you know, even if they separate the two, I doubt they're going to get rid of Google Plus. I mean, I think that Picasa had its own following to begin with and rolling it in. I can see, I guess, why a few people didn't really like the roll-in. I'm sure they're just allowing the separation so that people don't feel like locked in specifically. You have to do this in order to do this. But Google Plus is really integrated in a lot of stuff. Everything, I mean, yeah. It's, it's insane. So really, the power of Google Plus is, is pretty incredible for photographers, and I can't imagine that they get that they would get rid of that. Really, it's it's powerful for anyone. But yeah. um, I think we just love how the images look and how they display them, and and really how they how they treat the community. So I I think it's great that they're continuing to grow and invest in the photography side of the business. And I think really separating Picasso out will just be one of those things that um, makes their suite uh, even sweeter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think if, from my standpoint, if they split it out, I think you know, of course, I'm not in the in the battle room in Mountain View at Google while they're figuring all this stuff out, all their, uh, you know, their MBAs and whatnot, figuring it out. But I'm thinking from my consumer perspective that, A, if they split it out, that means many more people will be able to use the service, obviously, giving us more 
as a photographer, more eyeballs to look at the work that we put up there, and you know, it becomes more of a uh, a mechanism to market to from a marketing standpoint and get word out about other things that we're doing. Seems like that is a positive, especially which I'm sure they would do. They keep the ties into Google Plus because you still have your Google Plus. Uh, uh, account and you put stuff over here, it shows up over there. You know, if they keep those ties going, I, I think that's awesome. Martin, when you when you look at the, something like this, is this if this let's assume that this is true and Google is going to split it off uh, from Google Plus, the Photos section app, whatever. Does this mean does this put them directly in Thunderdome with Flickr in 500 picks? You know, I I don't know. I think it's. The problem that I'm seeing is that a lot of people don't want to be, not a lot of people, but there are people that don't want to be in Google+, and that's obviously part of the reason why they're thinking of this split. But yeah. um, there are some people that just want to have a, a way to um, store and, and look at their photographs. Yeah. And I think that their photographers generally have a system already. They they want you know they've got Lightroom they've got Aperture uh, they've got Bridge or whatever mm -hmm. and so photographers are generally already set with that stuff. I I don't need an online service for that. Or uh, I mean I I actually have Picasa loaded on one of my computers so that I can go in behind the, behind Google and change titles and things like and album names things like yeah. that. Yeah. But that's all I use it for. I don't need it for anything else. Uh, in fact, I, I, it, this story reminded me that I had it installed and I deleted it because it keeps a copy of everything and it's a couple of gigabytes of data on my drive. Yeah. Um, so for me, it was the reverse. But I think that photographers, people that consider themselves a photographer, are already set. They don't really necessarily need that sort of service. And if you want to share, th share images online, there are already other great um, alternatives. Yeah. You know, they, some people might use it, but I, I think that the main people that are going to use a service like this are more um, family snappers and, you know, people that are, they, they've got images, they want to share them with, with friends and family and things, things like that. They, they don't really know how to do that. So they'll just use something that they stumble across. Yeah. And I, I really don't see much more than that. Um, you know, photographers that are interested in, in actually talking with other photographers, they'll just go straight into Google Plus anyway. Yeah. Um, Facebook is more for for photographers. It's more of a marketing thing. Yeah. Um, for and and as far as just like I mean, my sister is on Facebook, and it, all all you see is photos of her with five other friends in a pub. Um, so everyone's got the glass in the air and stuff. Great, that's what it's for. But that's that's what a lot of people use Facebook for. So when we talk about all of these photographs that go on Facebook, from a photographer's perspective, they're not really photographs. They're snaps. They're they're, they're people's memories, yes. which is yeah. fine. Which is fine, but it's not what you know. A photographer uses Facebook differently, and I think that that's why a photographer probably is going to come in for the front end and be and be fine with working with Google Plus. And what we're talking about here is something that will be more for your consumer sort of snap shooter. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's anybody's guess what the future is going to hold. I would, I want to, again, put get jumping back into the time travel of DeLorean again for both of you guys. If we, if you look forward into the future, when I look at this, I'm thinking like, okay, Google first there's Picasso, right? Then Google Photos, and and of course Google Plus, and then Google purchased 
Nick software and integrated them tightly into Google Plus Photos and all their control point technology and all that stuff, which is amazing, by the way, if you haven't tried it. Um, it really works well, undermarketed in my opinion, because um, it, it's an amazing piece of software that runs in your browser. But I'm thinking, wouldn't it be interesting if Google decided, you know what, let's, uh, let's pick up that little company down the road in San Jose, Adobe, <laughs> and make them part of Google Photos or make this whole photography pro-to-consumer workflow thing that dominates the photography space. Couldn't they do that? I mean, I don't see a whole lot of antitrust there. Adobe is relatively cheap when you look at Google dollars. I mean, <laughs> Sarah, what do you think? You look shocked to me. <laughs> I mean, I I love the way you travel into the future with your brain. So <laughs> I think that's world. amazing. I like I'm like, wow, I never even really thought about that. But it's so true. I mean, Adobe has Creative Cloud now and mm -hmm. everything. You know, they're really going very cloud-based. I mean, every company is or, you know, really should be in my opinion. So mm -hmm. I think that's really a fascinating idea that that could happen or a thought that that could happen or even that Google could come out with a competitive product mm -hmm. is another idea as well. Totally. I mean, yeah. right now, <laughs> Adobe really has no competition. So no, no. They, they really are a monopoly in the market. So it would be interesting to see them kind of um, get challenged even by somebody else. But... Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's really a fascinating idea that those two could kind of come together. And I think Picasa is, you know, from what I've heard from it, I haven't really used it, but it sounded like it was more um, for for a consumer market. Yeah, totally. And totally. I think I think Martin made a really good point in that that might be another reason why they're separating it from Google Plus, not mm -hmm. only from that perspective, but also to separate it from the professionals who don't see any use for it. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think would be my would be my kind of perspective on it. I was like, oh, Picasso's being separated out. I didn't even really know it was there. So right, right. yeah, I, I never never really used Picasso either. So Martin, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, about the, you know, of course we don't we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know what's going to happen. But just to go on the record, I have been right before about this stuff. <laughs> you know, with the latest when? thing being Aperture and other things before, I've been very prophetic. This might be the latest in my prediction. So what do you think? Adobe and Google sitting in a tree? And I think it's a possibility. Um, but, I mean, I, I don't necessarily... You know, you mentioned... Um, what they did with with Nick Software's plugins. Yeah. I I use the plugins religiously. I still for Black and White, Silver Effects Pro, and and I I run a lot of my landscape work through Color Effects as well. I love those plugins. Yeah. But they haven't been updated in a long time. There's been there's been some additions. There's been the analog effects is pretty cool, very gimmicky, but it's pretty cool. Um, I, I from a photographer's perspective again. The first thing that people do when they get onto Google Plus now and they see, for example, the auto enhancements that Google think is really cool and they're just going to turn it on by default. Right. The first thing that photographers do is, oh, my God, what's happened to my photos? How do I turn that off? Mm -hmm. And then people run in and turn it off. But my sister, who's uploading her photos of her friends in a bar, is probably going, oh, that looks really cool now. Mm -hmm. Great. And then they move on. So, again, it's more consumer-based. And I, and I think that the the photographer generally wants more control um, and I, my fear is that if Google did buy 
Adobe, then they'd probably be. Well, no, I mean, there's a huge user base already out market. there. So they would it, not let that market language. No, they wouldn't. They, I'm not sure how innovative they would be because I'm just looking at what they've done. They seem to to buy things up and then just let them stagnate. Yeah. Um, they're, they're doing a lot, a lot of great stuff and are very innovative. But some things you see them buy it and then it just stagnates and it's so, almost as though they're buying it just to get it out of the way. Yeah, I doubt that that would be the case with Adobe if they did buy them. Right. Um, yeah. You know, it's too big. Um, yeah, and, and I think and, I think you look at Adobe's portfolio again. You know, one of Google's now arch enemies is Apple, right? And Apple. Is yeah. in that space too, or were in that? Well, they're going to have app, the Photos app, and Aperture is right. no longer here. But the, there was a fo there's a Photos app that's coming, and then of course there's Final Cut Pro. They were in the soundtrack space, and then they killed soundtrack and animation, all that stuff. So they, in a lot of ways, they were head to head with Adobe, and then kind of turned the direction and went head to head also with Google on this stuff with iCloud and all this other stuff and iPhoto. So. I'm thinking if Google picked up Adobe's portfolio of software, that gives them a lot of ammunition to at least thumb their nose at Apple. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, and it could really heat it up on the competition side. Maybe it'll light a fire on Apple to start doing more stuff on that pro side again, you know? And I don't know. It's just, I'm armchair quarterbacking, clearly, but it's, <laughs> it could get interesting in 2015, 2016. I don't know. Yeah, if someone is, though, could get Apple to go back in more heavily into the pro market, I would I would love it. Somebody please. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Fre Frederick, the, the thing is, when you armchair quarterback, I mean, you worked for a lot of these companies. It's like it's like you were a quarterback, so uh, you're so you're qualified to do that. Right. I wasn't a quarterback. I was more like a water boy. So. I... <laughs> water boys know more than you think they do. Yeah, I I was listening, but you know, I did not get my hands on a football, so. <laughs> <laughs> Till the end of the game, I guess. <laughs> no, it's good. It'll be exciting. I think the takeaway from all this is this is really cool. Whatever happens, a lot of this stuff is going to be good for us, you know, as photographers. When you get down to the finger pressing that shutter button and looking at an image, we just have more and more choices that are coming up for us. And, you know, hey, choice is good, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, speaking of choice, full frame versus crop sensor. So our good friend Zach Arias over there on his blog, he posted an article discussing the virtue of the crop sensor cameras versus full frame. And a few years ago, he, he was of the opinion that full frame was the only way to go. And recently, he changed his opinion on the matter and thinks that the technology of crop sensors or on-crop sensors has improved so much in the past couple of years that cameras like his Fuji X-T1 compare very well against full-frame cameras like the D3 and the 5D Mark II in terms of things like depth of field, detail, ISO performance, etc. And he contends that you don't even notice a significant difference until you jump up to medium format. So interesting. So, and this is going to get some heat, I know, because full frame people are full frame purists, Martin Bailey, Sarah France. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so when you hear an article like this, you know, Zach speaking the heresy that you don't need a full frame to get all this cool stuff, what do you guys say? Because you two are the DSLR shooters still. I mean, and, and I say still with, you know, grain of salt. 
but you're still you're still still shooting DSLRs. You haven't moved into mirrorless or any of that stuff yet, Sarah France. No. What do you think about this? Zachary says you don't need a full frame unless you want. If you need all that stuff, go to medium format. Otherwise, go to something smaller like X T one. What do you think? I watched the video and it was really fascinating. And I love Zach. He's He's entertaining and smart and Uh-oh. and really whenever great people started off like that, there's a bomb coming. <laughs> right, but but I meant to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I I mean, one of the big things that he that he didn't talk about that I guess I have an issue with is that I um I love having my wide angle and having my having my lenses be be what they are. So I I really felt like that was one thing that kind of got left out, at least for us and for me. I mean, the crop sensor, I don't use it really because, you know, there is a difference in quality, and it's not necessarily how big of a difference, it's that there is a difference in quality. So I get that I get that a crop sensor um, maybe isn't as big of a difference as we've been making it sound, yeah. but I do still feel like, it's not really um, the right tool for the professional market. However, I'm really glad to hear that it's not as big of a difference as maybe I thought it was in the past because I think with some of the crop sensor stuff, they might have smaller cameras like he was showing the one that he w- that he really liked, the Fuji. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, that thing's really tiny. I would love to take it on vacation. I think that's really great. Like, but I would never give up my full-frame sensor or or my camera for one of those at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like the I feel like there's a lot of little elements that come into it and and one of those things unfortunately is that I've I've huge lenses and putting a huge lens on a tiny little body is just like doesn't you can't even hold it in your hand. So yeah. on top of everything else, there's like an ergonomical issue with it as well. Um, when I'm shooting weddings, I need a camera that I can hold in my hand that will hold the lens that I need it to hold, and then it will give me that really shallow depth of field and a really nice image. Um, the best quality that I can get for uh, the the camera that I'm using and and I can produce those beautiful images. So even though he found that there was less difference in some areas than a lot of people make it out to be, it's still um, not what I would use for shooting weddings. Yeah, yeah, and I hear you, and I've heard that before. So there's there's two sides of that. I've, I've heard DSLR shooters say, you know, I would never do that, and then they shoot with a mirrorless, and then it's like, mm-hmm. man, <laughs> that's, that's actually not bad. And then pretty soon, maybe six months later, they bought one, and now they're trying to, you know. But who knows? But, you know, and then to your credit, Sarah, what you're saying about what Zach is saying there. A lot of this is situational and subject matter based too, you know. Totally. So there's there's that piece of it, and then the other piece of the pie is just what you're comfortable with. I mean, it's not all about the gear, even though we have a show called that. It's not all about the gear. It's you know sometimes it's just the tactile feel that you've you've been shooting for a while, and you get you get that muscle memory built in of how what this bride is going to look like when she's at that distance from you with this lens on, you know in your head that that's going to be a saleable shot, click, you got it, you're on to the next thing, rather than going through that, the the motions of building up the muscle memory again. But, you know, what would you, you were saying about the lens size and all that, so I reached over and I got this thing. So this is one of my favorite lenses here. This is an Olympus 45mm f1.8 
lens, and there it is. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'm holding up this lens in the palm of my hand, and that that's this has got to be one of the sharpest lenses that I have ever shot with in my entire life. And look at that. I'm holding it up between two fingers, and this, the depth of field is just insane, the shallowness of the depth of field, and it weighs nothing. So you put this on your camera, and it's like, really, that photo came from that lens, you know, and this is one of the lenses that got me into Micro Four Thirds, because I was like, wait a minute, that can do that? Okay, sign me up. But that's a, I mean, a 51.8 is not that much bigger than that lens either, but if you look at a 51.2, now you're talking a difference of size, but you're also talking a difference of quality and depth of field and all that kind of stuff, so it's, I mean, oh, yeah, price is like the number one, right? Yeah. That's the first one my in- interns are talking about. I'm like, oh, but you should get this one. I mean, they, I think that there there is that little bit bit of difference, but it make, can make a huge difference between the quality of the of the finished image. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Martin, what about you? you did you? I'm sure you watched this video and. It, on past twips, you you started from the Sarah standpoint because I remember early on you're like, no, never got. I'm always gonna shoot full frame. This is what I do. You can't be shooting snow monkeys with that small stuff, you know. <laughs> and then I remember on a more recent show, you said something like, you know what? I think I'm gonna experiment a little <laughs> with the mirrorless cameras. They're not that bad. I'm kind of intrigued. Everyone's yeah. talking about them. What do you think about this this video from Zach? What did, what did this uh, make you the think? Vi- the video itself is hilarious. It's it's mm-hmm. Zach. Yeah, it's, it's Zach, of course. It, it, yeah. you know, he he's done a really good job with the video, and he makes a, a lot of great points. And I I think that the thing for me is if if you're talking about full frame and crop crop factor within a, a DSLR, you know, within the boundaries of a DSLR. I don't like, and, and I'm, I know that I'm going to annoy probably 70% of your audience by saying this, I don't particularly like crop factor DSLRs because yeah. of a few reasons. The lenses, unless you buy EFS lenses on the, in the Canon system, the short, you know, the, the ones that are designed for crop factor, right. you waste, you're carrying a big lens around, but you're only using the middle two-thirds of it. Um, and also, the, the viewfinder is a lot darker on crop factor SLRs. When when I look through my 5D or my 1DX, the viewfinder is actually a lot brighter. And that makes a difference, if, especially if you're manually focusing and things like that. Yeah. Um, so there are reasons why I don't particularly like um, crop factor DSLRs. Yeah. But the Fuji and the you know the OMDs and and the the current lineup of, of mirrorless cameras they are. They're excellent, and the 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 lenses are smaller, and you know th- there's a lot of things going for them. But I think, and and like Sarah touched on, there are things like very extreme wide angle. They're not so good at sometimes. But you know, again, when the camera's designed for that wide angle, can, they can still do it, and it's it it's not such a big deal for me. I mean, I'm a nature and wildlife photographer, so yeah. the wildlife part, I need 600 millimeters. And, you know, Zach's saying, oh, the, the real difference, if you want a big difference, you need to go to medium format. Have you seen the size of a medium format 600 millimeter lens? Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, sure my, my 35 yeah. millimeter gear is is big and heavy already. Yeah. Um, so it, it's horses for courses. If you're shooting mainly um, between, I don't know, say, 24 and 200 millimeters, 
then the mirrorless systems are excellent. And I know that there are longer lenses, and you can you can do sort all sorts of stuff. It's great. But the other thing is that there are, as as far as I'm aware, there are no. I think the Panasonic maybe. Um, I'm not sure. Pentax. I'm not sure. But there's there's very few mirrorless cameras that are fully weatherproof. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for me, I mean, I I I work in in pouring rain in freezing cold in all sorts of in in Namibia with dust everywhere stuff like that you know i need the weatherproofing and the dustproofing of this of these systems right. and that's not quite there now the reason i'm kind of coming around as you were saying frederick is that i i do see some very very good quality mirrorless cameras now the autofocus is the other thing i mean that for sports and wildlife you need really snappy autofocus, and that's not quite and there on mirrorless yeah. either. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I I think that the there, there's still a lot of areas where they're not quite there, but mm-hmm. they're getting there, mm-hmm. and they're already a lot better than they were two years ago. So yeah. I'm thinking that there are there are situations where I'm going to be jumping on mirrorless before too long. The only reason I don't already have a mirrorless system is financial. I can't really afford to go out and buy another system. I know that I can I can use things like the Metabones and, and use my Canon lenses. But if I'm going to use the big heavy lenses, like Sarah says, I might as well just use my, my, my body that's made for it. Right. Um, right. But there are times when I'm humping around a, a, an 18 kilogram or a 40 pound bag of gear and I'm thinking, Jesus, mirrorless cameras sound really nice right now. <laughs> um, and so there, it's going to happen. And I think that full weatherproofing and a slight, a little bit more improvement in the auto, autofocus is required before I get there. But you know, it's inching it's, forward though, like you said, it it's, it's, it's almost there. And it, it just the cameras that came out this year alone just blow me away. Like the, the, the A7 series, A7S, exactly, A7R yeah. from an A7 from Sony, and um, you know the Olympus, and of course the Fujis, and then mm-hmm. the Panasonic Lumix series with the GH4 and the 4K. Mm-hmm. All that stuff is that stuff to me. Just just all that stuff out there and all those choices seems really really exciting versus mm-hmm. you know a DSLR that now you know, has a shutter speed sync at this speed rather than this, or, you know, <laughs> right. this frames per second now, and last year's did one frame per second less, you know. Yeah. Come on. You know, the innovation, the innovation at the moment, we were talking, like when I when I titled the last month, the, the if you have poo, fling it now, when, <laughs> when, when we were talking about, uh, when we were oh talking about, Sarah's wondering what I'm I'm really sad I missed that, really. <laughs> So we, we were talking about how Canon and Nikon are not really innovating very much at the moment. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, I, you know, they need to do something. They probably are. There's rumors about Canon looking into the medium format market as well. You know, there's there's a lot of stuff that those guys need to do to keep the revenue coming in because at the moment a lot of people are, are you know, hordes of people are moving over to mirrorless right. and with yeah. good reason. Um, but they're, they've, at the moment, the people that are sticking with DSLRs are people like me that need the weatherproofing and the autofocus, like Sarah. You know, that it's there's always going to be people that want to stick with it. But gradually, the people that don't need the super telephotos or the weatherproofing or the the snappy autofocus, yeah, and and autofocus is getting there too. I mean, yeah. we we were talking about that video. Um, there's a lot of improvements, and they're they're workable 
the, dif the difference is now, it's whether you want to nail most of your shots or some of your shots. Um, and if, you want, if you're happy with nailing a few, it's a difference between buying, I don't know, a, a Mini Cooper and a Ferrari. If a Mini Cooper is going to do the job for you, then go with it. You know, and Mini Cooper's exactly. a great car anyway, so I don't want to put them down. But, yeah. you know, yeah, you know I was going to say, like, mirrorless is kind of like a Tesla, and but sometimes even though as cool and sweet as Teslas are, sometimes you just need a Ford F-150, you know, <laughs> to get the job done. It's, you know, does everything you need, has everything the Tesla has, you know, minus a couple of cool things. But it does the job, and it gets it. It's weather sealed, right, Martin? <laughs> it gets, yeah, yeah, yeah. It gets it done. So, yeah. you know, yeah. There's no right answer. I don't think there's ever. I mean, it's fun to debate this stuff, but there's never a right answer on you have to go into this system or you're yeah. not a real photographer, or whatever. You could shoot with DSLRs into 2020. You could go back and go get a Canon, you know, EOS, whatever, back in the day, and do world class weddings with it, Sarah, because you have the skill. To do that, the tools are kind of just make things a little easier, more fun, more lightweight, and all that. But you, as a photographer, you are an artisan. You can pick up any paintbrush and create cool stuff. So, yeah, it's fun to debate it, but you know, don't get. Well, you, you know, the thing, the thing that one of the main points that Zach was making about the film size, and and if people haven't watched the video, just go and watch it. Mm. Even if you, even if you don't care about this, it's just so funny the way he puts this across. Um, but. The, the thing that he's pointing out is, I mean, really, when you look at the difference in size between the sensors, the difference between an AP, uh, you know, a, a crop factor, APS-C or whatever it is, and a full frame yeah. is really quite small compared to even a medium format. Yeah. And it, the, so, as he said, the difference in image quality is negligible. Mm. And, and it is. You know, that's, that's a fair statement. So for me, it's not the image quality that's that's really making the difference between me sticking with full frame DSLR. It's yeah. all the other stuff we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's other arguments like Sarah was saying the depth of field and bokeh that you get. A, there's a difference there, but quality-wise, we're just seeing. I mean, iPhone photos are being used in gallery showings and stuff like that. I mean, and that's look at the size of that little sensor in yeah, there. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, it's, it's great work coming out of all of these cameras. It's not the camera that makes the photograph. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's the photographer. Absolutely. All right, guys, let's dive into some listener questions now. Um, this week's question comes to us from Richard Simcoe via our Google Plus community page, which is over 8,000 members now. So if you're not a member, please join it. His question is, I would love to know about photo printing and fulfillment service recommendations for Squarespace e-commerce. What I like to do is sell through Squarespace e-commerce to have a third-party company's printing and fulfillment service hooked up completely transparent to the buyer. For example, the user never leaves my Squarespace site. And third, preferably the printing and fulfillment company delivers the products worldwide He's not located in the U.S. Any suggestions, help, etc.? Uh, Martin, I'm going to throw this to you first because you wrote a book that's out on craft and vision on printing and that sort of thing. But, of course, he's talking about fulfillment services. But you still, you're the printing guy. So what do you think? <laughs> well, you know, the the thing is, I, I um, obviously... Squarespace sponsor my podcast, so I, uh, I've got access to their system. I went in and took a look, and I can't really find any way to, to couple a, a fulfillment system in the back end. Um, it might be there, but I, I would suggest that before 
and you know we we really talk too much about that. Richard should probably just drop. I mean, they've got great support at, yeah, at Squarespace. Yeah. Just drop the support guys a line. Yeah. Um, one thing that I would point out is that Richard says that he's not based in the U.S. Um, I see from his Google Plus um, profile that he's in Singapore. If he doesn't have a U.S. address, he might be out of luck anyway because Squarespace use uh, Stripe for their payment process. Uh, payment process. Yeah. And it's not available in Singapore yet. It's available in a number of countries. And I mean, I've put a... You can go to stripe.com slash global, and there's a map there that shows you the countries that you can that you can use that you can be in to use Stripe. Mm -hmm. um, so he might be out of luck anyway with with Squarespace because of the those restrictions. So I would check that before you do anything else. Uh, make sure that you can actually get a Stripe account. Uh, if you if you can't, the the other option, and this is something that I mean I've got a I, I did a, uh, a podcast a few weeks ago. If, if you go to mvp.ac slash 428, uh, episode 428 of my own podcast, I did a, a very detailed walkthrough of art storefronts. And they are a, a new company that's opened up in the US. Um, they're using mainly breathing color media to print on. Uh, mm -hmm. if, you, if you use the art st storefront fulfillment, they use PayPal to take the payments, so you so that's a, you know. In fact, it doesn't really matter because you know they pay you after they pay you the the difference. Oh. You set you set up the amount that you want to pay uh, that you want to pay, you know people to charge. You want to yeah. charge people for the prints, but then you um, they fulfill the prints, send it anywhere in the world, and then just pay you the difference. So if if you set it at a hundred percent, you get if it costs them say twenty dollars to make a, a print. They're gonna, you're gonna charge forty, and they're gonna send you the twenty dollars difference. I like um, it. But the, you know, the what's the name of that company again, Martin? Art storefronts. Art and, storefronts. Okay. Yeah. So, so I mean, the website itself. I, if if all you want is a website and a photography website, I still say Squarespace is better. But if you want to sell fine art prints and you want, especially either whether you want to self fulfill or whether you want to have the them fulfill for you. Um, Art Storefronts is great. They've got a really good system that mocks up the, you know, you can actually look at your images on a lounge wall or a, a nursery wall, and you, you can mock it all up with the gallery wraps or, or framed prints. Yeah. And, I mean, I've, I've, I've ordered test prints from these guys, and they're awesome. They, it, I mean, Breathing Color's in the background, so when I, I don't use any other media than Breathing Color. Um, Another thing that they do that's really, really good is once you pay your yearly membership at Art Storefronts, they will um, that you get access to their wholesale print sales. So you can actually go in and say, send me, um, or, or for a customer, you can set up a store for other other people to order prints from you, and you take the difference. Yeah. Um, so you know their own prints. But the, oh. the the wholesale thing, what is, is you you actually can go in and order a, a 40 by 60 inch gallery wrap for the price that it costs them to make it and ship it to you, um, and that is really big because I could that, that means I can't make my printer behind me is 24 inch wide, I can make 20 by 30 inch gallery wraps, these things that we see on the walls behind me, mm -hmm. um, but I can't make 40 by 60 or anything larger than 20 by 30, so for me. That gives me the ability to very cheaply create a very large gallery wrap as well. And so 
you know, it's worth looking into. And I, I don't want to steal Squareface's thunder here because you know they they do they are a great service, but there's limitations that yeah. that I think that Richard might be jump might find himself up against soon. Okay. Um, so maybe take a look at that. All right, Sarah, you have any? You want to add anything to that? Any thoughts about fulfillment and that sort of thing? And by the way, who are you using for fulfillment for your business? Um, we use a plethora of different offerings. A plethora. Depending on if the a plethora, <laughs> depending on if the client comes to us or um, or uses our online system. So the online system we use Pass, and they do the print fulfillment through White House. Mm -hmm. Custom color, um, and they do basically our four by six, five by seven, eight by tens, um, or eight by twelves, and then we handle everything else. So most of our clients come to us for albums and wall mounts, and and we actually have consultations where we meet with clients to go over wall design and and nice. meet with them in their home. So we do more of a consultative selling when it comes to our products and making sure that our clients are getting their heirlooms and that they're decorating their houses and those things. When it comes to loose prints, mom and aunt may they can take care of those online and and uh, get those prints from a really nice, great lab that has beautiful print fulfillment. So we're really happy with the system right now. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. I wish oh. I had some more advice for him, but Martin really handled that. So. Oh, yeah. No, that was perfect. I think, <laughs> I think that listener, what was the listener's name again? That listener, uh, where is it? I lost Richard Simcoe. Richard, yeah, thank you. Richard will be very pleased with that. That We should write that up, Martin. We should have that transcribed because that was a perfect answer for that, okay. for that question. All right, guys, let's jump into the picks of the week. This is the segment where you guys can recommend something to the TWIP army as long as it's related to photography, ladies first. Sarah France, what's your pick of the week? Okay, so my pick of the week is kind of a funny one this week. I um, have been delving in a little bit into Lightroom trainings, seeing that Aperture is dead. So the cats and dogs are getting along. What is happening? <laughs> I know. So I, uh, I actually called up my friends at Creative Live, and I was like, please tell me which of these trainings to watch. There's so many, and yeah. I don't know where to start. And, um, and so uh, I got a few of them, and I put them as my pick of the week. Yeah. Uh, Jared Platt does a really great job teaching some Lightroom trainings, and I love Julianne Koss. She teaches anything. I just want to watch her. She's so uh, entertaining and educational and um, just a, a wonderful person. So yeah. I I got her course as well, and it was it was fantastic. So we're looking now. We're not making a quick move over by any means because Aperture is not going anywhere. In the you know, it's just not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere, but it's not going anywhere. Right. So right. we are currently in the middle of our busy season, so it's definitely not a time to make a quick change. Sure. But we're definitely doing the education and the work, and um, I'm posting about it on the blog a lot. I also, I just posted a post, and I'll put it in my pick of the week as well, um, just about what we're doing, the transition, that we're making some suggestions for other Aperture users, mm -hmm. and you know, at what point it makes sense to move to Lightroom or to stay and wait and see what's going to happen with photos. photos. Is, yeah, the photos app, yeah. Yeah, so I think there there's a totally two 
two, three, four different markets there who are going to have different situations. Um, for us, shooting weddings and working with a post-production company that uses Lightroom and all of that, there's just no other um, option for us with our professional photography to than to go to Lightroom for um, our post-production. But right. there's so much support out there, and I'm really excited to kind of delve in and, and really see um, what can be done with Lightroom and kind of making that transition over. So I think I it's exciting. I eye now, that Sarah. I that know. <laughs> it's a tear guys... of joy. It's like Sarah France, you know, is moving over. Are we going to see some training from you on Lightroom, you think? I, well, you'll probably see some training from me on, on making the transition for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm definitely no Lightroom expert by any means. But, but you will be in like 10 minutes as fast as you yeah, will. It won't take me long, that's for <laughs> sure. And it does have a lot of similarities in the way that it works to Aperture, obviously. Um, there's some nice things. There's some things I'm already sad and missed. But um, I'm really... I, I am kind of excited, like a few of the things that we've discovered in Lightroom that I didn't know were there or that just came out with the new newest versions have been pretty cool with our, working with our post-production company because it's just making anything that can make things faster for me is like amazing. But I wrote in, in my blog post about Aperture, um, I wrote a eulogy, which was actually oh. the Aperture team said that they cried. <laughs> no. But, but they're, you know, they're moving over the Aperture team's moving over to the Photos app and doing a really great job of developing that. I just think like I was saying earlier and like we've known for a while it seemed like Apple is moving in a direction of consumer prosumer and yeah. a little bit more away from uh the focus on the professional market like they like they did in the past. So yeah. Um, that you know, the reality of that was a little bit was a little bit tough. The Aperture news hit me like everyone else, like a complete shock. To be honest, I really thought they were working on a release of a new product, and I didn't know why I hadn't seen it. But I was like, okay, well, I'm sure it's coming out soon. Yeah, yeah, it, it was and... sad. It's you know, to lose a major player in the space, you know, regardless is. Yeah, I don't think it's good at all. I mean, who knows what the Photos app is going to bring, but still, yeah. it's like, you know, competition. Can somebody compete with Adobe on this? I know. You know? Seriously. <laughs> Please. Come on. I thought if anyone was in it, it was going to be Apple for sure, but right. uh, yeah. I think they, I don't know. I don't, uh, honestly, I, I think it's just really their bigger focus, and I know they're going to make a great Photos app, and it's going to be amazing for all of my consumer and prosumer stuff that, you know, just all the kind of personal stuff that I do, but um, unfortunately it's just there's no way to for it to compete with what I need professionally with Lightroom. Right. Well, we'll have to wait and see. Um, yeah, scary, scary stuff, but good yeah. in a good way. You know, it's change good. is scary. Change is scary and change can be good too. So Exactly. <laughs> we embrace it like what? always. What did you say, Sarah? I'm sorry. We, we embrace it like always. Yes, yeah, because what choice do we have? Exactly. <laughs> you, you know, it's it's like watching people, you know, people that are like Sarah that have really loved using Aperture over the years and then watching the reaction, it's almost like when Elvis died. It's like 
I mean, that yeah. was before your time, Sarah. But yeah. I remember, I remember, like when I was, I was a, I was quite a, a little kid still, and like the news came over, and Elvis has died, and like, and my mum's crying, and every, everyone's having a really hard time with it. It's almost like that, watching people's reactions to Aperture being cut. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's, it was like when Steve Jobs died. Yeah. Oh, that was no, that was yeah, that was different again. But yeah, yeah. that was such a loss. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's it hurts to lose. Anybody, anything, you know, in varying degrees of impact, but yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I agree. Martin, I saw your pick of the week, and I am dying to hear about it, so please tell me. <laughs> yes, Martin, what's your pick? I, I went and looked at that, too. I want to hear what you need. To, you have to say about it. What is it, Martin? Okay, so all photographers use email, so, <laughs> so I've got this very loose connection to a photography pick of the yes. week, um, but I, I've been, you know, I, I'm a Mac user, so I use the, the I've been using the Apple Mail uh, uh, program for a number of years, but there, it doesn't feel as though it's really helping me with, with, with my email. And I decided to have a look around. I tried a few other a, a few other options as well, and didn't quite get along with them. But the I tried MailPilot, and MailPilot is it's basically task-based email, so. What you do is you, you know, it's, I think it's like ten bucks in the in the app store. But what it is, it's basically you go through and the, the, you have fingertip keyboard shortcuts for everything. And then when you've finished with an email, if you don't, if you, you know, you can whisk it off to folders in a couple of keystrokes. Uh, you can put it into lists in a couple of keystrokes, and it basically works you down to to the something that people are talking about these days called zero inbox which is where you've got nothing left in your inbox mm. and what I tend to do is I so far with mail and and bef when I was a Windows user with Outlook and you know the I've tried to I've left things unread meaning that I've got to get back to them and work on them but yeah. once an unread mail goes down the list a little bit, you tend to forget about it, and then you have to go back and check your un unread mail, mm. and it, it kind of gets into a bit of a pain. And you leave everything that you that you think you might need at some point, you leave it in your inbox, mm -hmm. and it becomes this this beast of a monster that you don't even want to open anymore. You're gonna but, make me cry. <laughs> but um, but with with MailPilot, what you do is you you whisk stuff off into various places. Or if you if you want to archive it, when you've read it, you don't want to delete it, or you don't want to put it into a, a list or a folder. Just hit the space key, and it 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 puts it into your archive. And then what you the other great thing with it is that you can turn emails into tasks. So say I get an an email that tells me I need to I'm, I know that I need to reply to someone in three or four days time. You just you hit S to set it aside. And then you can go in the calendar just and hit a number for four days from now or five days from now or just setting it aside. We'll put it into a list of tasks that you go to later. And so you you literally, it, it will remind you of when you've got to reply to your email. But once you've put it into a task, into your task list like this, it, it removes it from your inbox. So every time you come, you open your email, with a, within a few minutes, even if you've got a whole bunch of stuff, Within a few minutes, you can get down to zero inbox and have nothing there. But it doesn't mean that you have to go away and look for everything else. Because on, if you set something to to be to remind you in three days' time, when you open your email in three days' time, there's going to be a today section, and it's got all of the emails that you need to reply to today. Hmm. Um, and if you if you don't reply to them today, you can either move them forward a few days again, or it can it, it'll put them in a past due se section. 
but it's it's so refreshing to open email and see nothing there. Yeah. And and you know and it just makes it so easy to do it. Now the the there's an iPhone version that syncs with it, but version one's pretty buggy, and I can't even get it to connect to my IMAP email servers. The support team are really helpful. I've sent them a whole bunch of things like there's it's a relatively new product. So if you want to go in there and expect a really polished feel, it's not quite there. But the support team are they've got their ears open there and they're they're helpful. Um, the iPhone app version one is it's okay, but it's not great. Like I say, I mean I can't even I can use it with Gmail. I can use it with um, my iCloud email account. I can't use it with my own main server, which is my main email account. Um, but version two's coming, and there's going to be a lot of changes. So the you know version two on the iPhone is going to be pretty cool as well. Um, at the moment, I can't really recommend the the version one iPhone client, but the, on the Mac, it's like I'm okay. I'm I'm sold. I'm I never want to open Apple Mail again. Yeah, yeah. I needed. I need. I a couple of years ago, I kind of pushed myself into using the web UI of Gmail as my primary mail client mm -hmm. um, for a lot of reasons. Mainly because I was hitting synchronization issues all over the place, and I was like, mm -hmm. you know what? I'm just going to access my mail through the browser and get it nailed that way, yeah. um, and then have clients on my devices that then go into that main thing. So I'm using. Um, what am I using on the on the uh, on the iPhone mailbox? So I'm using an app called Mailbox on both the Mac and um, or not the Mac on the uh, on the iPhone and the iPad. So and then on the Mac, of course, it's in it's in Chrome, and that seems to work out okay for me because I can swipe back and forth and set delays for things to pop back into my inbox and that sort of thing. Um, and it, you know, all I I don't think there's the, a correct solution for any of these clients. There's ones that fit you better, much like yeah, cameras. Yeah. I think there's yeah. ones that fit your your the way that you like to do mail better and your flow and all that. But I don't think there's any perfect one yet. You know, and sometimes I even you know I the the Gmail client on uh, the iPhone and iOS is actually really good and it mm. works perfectly with the service. So sometimes I just you know I'm just gonna go back to that. <laughs> it just works. You know, you know one, of, one of the other reasons that I was really hoping to find a, a good alternative to Apple Mail is that I, I, don't, I, I work on two computers all the time. I've got my laptop that I'll use around the house, and then I've got my iMac in my studio here. And I, I will, so far, what I've had to do is I use a, a program called ChronoSync mm -hmm. to actually copy my mail folders to my iMac. If I need to, if I need to open mail on there, but it takes about ten minutes. Dude, I've got, I've got gigabytes of stuff, and I'm IMAP. You know, just it it references the the folders on your um on your mail server, so it's not a big deal. Yeah. But I'm talking about the archives. I've got loads of archives of old mail. Yeah. And they yeah. and they've just you know I mean I don't I'm I'm thinking that mail the mail app on the on the Mac is now my archive. That's where all of my old mail will live. Mm -hmm. But from now on, MailPilot, I can open it on my iMac, on uh, by soon on my phone as well, and on my MacBook Pro, and it will just sync automatically, and everything will be all beautiful, and the world will be amazing, and the angels will sing, and everything. <laughs> yes, and you'll go get a mirrorless camera, and it'll all be good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
All right, guys, let's close this off. We're at the end of another episode of this week in photo. Sarah France, where would you like folks to go to uh, connect with you, hire you to shoot their wedding, or just, you know, kind of see what you're up to? Yeah, so you can always go to my website, sarahfrance.com. Our new site is francephotographers.com. You can get there from my website or just go straight to francephotographers.com. Go check out our blog. We have actually been blogging. I know it's crazy. I know. Luckily, I have other, I have two amazing photographers who blog as well, and and they have way more interesting things to say than I do. So that's even even better. But you can always find me on Facebook, and um, Twitter, Google Plus. I'm all over the place. If you if you can't find me, then then there's a problem. Yeah, Sarah and France together. You own the Google. So people, you're you should at a certain point, Sarah, you should just be able to say, you know what, just Google me. That's it. Yeah. Just. <laughs> That's it. Usually, just Google. Just Google. I love the new site because it's a, it's not my name. It's France Photographer, so it's there, but it's a hint of me. So go yeah. check that one out. We just posted a little promo video thing with just this girl kind of wandering around shooting each other and having some fun. So it's great. Sweet, awesome. Congratulations on the launch. Thank you. All right, Mr. Martin Bailey, where can people go to connect with you, sign up to shoot those snow monkeys, or keep track of your adventures in mirrorless? Yeah, I, I actually, I'd like to just do a quick shout out. I've got my an, another in-studio Pixels to Pigment workshop coming up in, oh, cool. cut in yeah. three weeks, and we've still got a couple of spaces. So if if anyone wants to, if if you're in Tokyo uh, or you're in Japan and you can get to Tokyo, um, and you want to optimize your digital workflow and do a bit of printing and take away a 20 by 30 uh, inch gallery wrap, courtesy of Breathing Color. Then uh, go to mbp.ac slash p2p, p number two p, and there's details there. Um, but apart from that, I've got a plethora of links on my website, oh, so you can just go to martinbaileyphotography.com. Sorry, Sarah, I'm, I'm having. I love it. <laughs> you said it's a cornucopia of links. Oh yes, oh, I've got a cornucopia oh. as well. Just go and just look under the cornucopia menu. <laughs> Very cool. So it's all there. What is it? MartinBaileyPhotography.com. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, thanks to you both for coming on. Always a pleasure chatting with both of you. Always come away refreshed. I always come away with a page of links to go <laughs> check out after the show. I'm always scribbling links. So thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. And, uh, and listeners, if you want to check out our website, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. And if you want to touch base with me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. And also, we have another show out there currently. There's another one called All About the Gear. It's a This Week in Photo production. You can find that at thisweekinphoto slash gear. thisweekinphoto.com slash gear. And with that, it's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production produced by Suzanne Llewellyn with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar.